And then we go went through and showed how this conversion process takes time. We have to work at it. We have to look at our mistakes. And certainly it comes at a good time right after Passover where we have looked into our life at Passover. We've accepted Christ. You know, when I was up there breaking the bread and I thought, you know, this is Christ's body that was broken for me. I pictured him tied to that stake and that whip going out there and ripping parts of his flesh off. And I thought, that bread represents that body of Christ that was ripped off for me. And it's there to do my physical healing. And then to be able to drink of that little bit of wine and know that that's Christ's blood which is set up for my spiritual healing. And I look back in that conversion process that God called me into and you know it was hard for me to make a prayer to, over breaking that bread because that was my Savior who wants me to be a part of His way of life. And He called me and, given, and has given to me the opportunity to change and to be finally at the last trump completely converted from physical flesh and blood man's way Satan's way to God's way to be a part of the very family of God and that is such a blessing but you know here we are the last day of unleavened bread and we've been called we've repented we were buried in the water just like this day represents when Israel as a nation went into that body of water and it wasn't like the movie they show the Ten Commandments you know and they walk through this narrow path and they can see you know almost touch the water on each side and we're talking of what six million people five million people Sheep, goats, carts, going through this body of water. Well, I looked at some of these marches some years back where they said they had a million-man march and wanted to be 100,000. It took them a long time to make that two-mile march. <laughs> so you can imagine when they went into that water, these were people that were called. It was wide. It was huge, probably four or five miles across, because Israel had to be into that body of water to be baptized. Because it says, tells us in, I think it's in Hebrews, they were all baptized in the cloud and in the sea. So they had to all be under the water to do that. So it was pretty big. And as I look back and working on this sermon, I thought back a little over a week ago, got a letter from the county, and I'm one of these kind of people that gets uh, bogged down in, uh, you know, worry wart. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. Went to bed about 11 and laid there until 2. Said, I, I just, you know, it bothered me that they were threatening us, they were threatening my family. You're my family, you know. 
I have physical family, blood, but you're my family. And so I laid there, and I finally got up, and I went into the living room and put a CD in of the ambassador quality, ambassador singers. And it happened to be uh, part of uh, Mendelssohn's Elijah that was on. And I heard one song, and I... As I worked on this sermon and thought about repentance and change and Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread coming up, and, and I'm going to read you the first couple of verses because it was something really to think about for me because I, it helped me to go back to sleep. <laughs> and it reads, and, and the title of the song is, If You Truly Love Me. It reads, If with all your heart you truly seek me. And I thought about that. If with all your heart you truly seek me, you shall surely find me, or you shall ever surely find me. Thus says our God, If with all your heart you truly seek me, you shall ever surely find me. Thus says our God. Thus says our God. Well, we've come through Passover. And this last part of conversion is, we've been converted. We were baptized. We said, yes, Lord, we're going to go your way. We're going to try to do things your way. But what happens? What's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month? If you slip... And make a mistake in sin. Is God going to write you off? Will God turn you and say, hey, I don't want no part of you? No. That's why I thought about this. If with all your heart you truly seek me. God's not going to write you off. He loves you. So he provides a way through repentance to change. Turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Here God encourages what I said there, or in the Elijah, if with all your heart, all of your heart. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek you the Lord while he may be found. Well, this is the time. If you sleep, you're not seeking God. If you should die, or in God's terms, you're just asleep till He can wake you back up again, can you find God? So Isaiah said, Seek you God now. This is the opportunity to look forward to Him. Call upon Him while He is near. So we're here. We've been called. He's showed us that there are things that we should do right. I, I think back on Job. I was been studying through Job, and his friends did not point out his problems. It was God who pointed out his problem, didn't it? God finally brought him to the point to say, Okay, Job, you tell me about these things. 
And Job finally could see what he had to do. So here we have an opportunity today. And if we should fall down, if we should slip up, I'm not saying you go out there and deliberately do something wrong. You know it's going to break the Ten Commandments. You know it's going to break God's Word because we're supposed to live by every Word of God. Wasn't that the first great temptation that was brought to Christ? Live by every Word of God. So if you totally reject God, that's not what we're saying here. We're saying we love God and we've had uh, four sermons covering this already by from Daryl. And I know I've gone back and listened to him about three times, not because I think I'm great and righteous, no, because I was taking out all the coughs that was in there, so but it takes time. But God says in Isaiah to seek him while he can be found. And so if you make a mistake, go out there, take the Bible, find out what it is that you've done wrong and change. Let the wicked forsake his way, God says. Turn around. Make a difference in your life. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. So do we have the wrong thoughts? We're supposed to get rid of it. We're supposed to take and bring every thought into the line of Christ. We're supposed to think like Christ thinks. Act like Christ acts. And let him return to the eternal and he will have mercy upon him and our God and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that fantastic to think about that? In Psalm 136 it says his mercy endures forever. You know Gordon did a sermon on that several years ago covered every verse. But to think about that, if we made a mistake, God will forgive you. But you've got to turn your life around. You've got to start doing it His way. So yes, we might make a mistake, but we're not being written off. God didn't take and erase your name from the book of life. Not yet. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. In verse 12. Then shall you call upon me, God says, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken to you. We understand that if we've made a mistake, if we go and get on our knees, and with all of our heart, and our mind, and our attitude, if we seek Him, and we do that in prayer, He's going to hear you. He's going to make the opportunity for you to change. And you shall seek me and find me, God says, if we really with our heart and mind and attitude, we seek him and find me, God says, when you shall search for me with all of your heart. So we make a mistake and God says, find me. Get down on your knees See what I've done wrong. He's not going to 
write you off the picture right yet. And I will be found of you, says the Eternal, verse 14, and I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from the, all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you. Even there, he says, he broke up the church. He drove us away. But he's going to bring us back if we truly, with all of our hearts, seek him. And from all the places whether he has driven you, says the Eternal, and I will bring you again unto the place whence I have caused you to be carried away. So are we looking for God? And Christ himself said in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. In Revelation chapter 3, Christ speaking to the Laodiceans said, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open the door, I'll come into you. I will help you. I want to eat with you. I want to teach you. I want to lead you. For everyone that asks, receives, and he that seeks, finds, and to him that knocks, it shall be opened. God wants us to be a part of what he's doing. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks him bread, will he give him a stone? Now think about God. We are his children. He cares more for us than what we do for our own children. And if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to, those, to them that ask him? So here God wants us to ask him. And I look back at Israel. They traveled, you know, they, God killed the firstborn, representing us as the firstborn of God. And then they traveled for, I can't prove it, but I feel personally that they traveled to this day, this day. And they went through the sea this day. And it was on the seventh day as far as I want to think about it. You know, you have to prove that. That Israel was freed. They had been in Egypt 400 years. They went through many plagues. They walked. And it was a point there where, you know, I, I looked at this and thought, these people must have really looked bad at Moses. Because they said there in in uh, Exodus chapter 14. And here we're talking about a nation coming out of Egypt. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, Speak to the... Notice what it says there. It says, The Lord Christ spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children. He was commanded to tell the children of Israel that they should turn and encamp before thy whatever that is, between Megdal and the sea. So God told Moses, turn here. Make this route. Go over there. And he brought them into where? They couldn't go to the right. They couldn't go to the left. There was a sea in front of them, so they couldn't go forward. 
and the Egyptian army come up upon them in the back. They blamed Moses. It wasn't Moses that brought them there. God brought them there. Just like He brings each one of us to a point where we have to rely on God. They had the only protection that anybody needed was Christ. Oh, it looked bleak. It looked tough. You know, and you might have passed, taken Passover, eaten unleavened bread for seven days. You're out here and you're going and doing just fine. But you slip up. And now you say, oh, that was... Somebody led me to this point. It's their problem. No. God sees that you have something to change in your life. But what do we do as people? No different than Israel did. They blamed Moses. But like Samuel said, Moses or said to, God said to Samuel, they don't hate you, Samuel. Moses so the same thing. Moses, it's not your fault. They don't really hate you. The only problem is you're the one they see. And so they relate all the problems on you. But you see, I want their attention. And so I brought these Israelites to this point of the only one way out. And that same thing holds true to you and to me today. If we fall short of the mark, there's only one way out. That we have to rely on God. And he says, His mercy is forever. And he says, If you will truly, deeply seek me, You'll find the answer. I will help you. So we know God provided a way. And they were able to, what? Get out of Egypt. And they were able to turn around and saw the enemy destroyed behind them. In Proverbs 28, it says, Happy is the man that fears always. Fears God always. But he that hardens his heart shall fall into mischief. So, I've seen this happen in my lifetime in the church of the lower 50 years. I've seen people make a mistake instead of giving it up. Instead of looking at that mistake and harboring on it and not getting and giving up their whole heart to God, it becomes hardened and harder and harder and harder until you come to the point that you just won't change. Is that what happened to Esau? God says he loved Jacob The Bible teaches us that he hated uh, Esau, but it wasn't hate. It was he loved less Esau. But Esau hardened his heart. And that comes a problem with 
each one of us, we know the Ten Commandments. We know that God wants us to be a part of it. We've taken the Passover. And so do we go out there and we make a mistake and say, I guess I'm just not worthy anymore. Well, you're right. You can never be really worthy. We get the gift of God's Spirit. You cannot earn it. It is a gift that God gives to you. But if you allow your mistakes to, to build and build, it's like when I got that letter from the county. Instead of, like my wife says, put it aside. Don't let it bother you. But I let it bother me and bother me and bother me to the point where I can't sleep. Sin can do the same thing. We might look at somebody else and say, that person is just the rottenest person in the world and they want me to hear them. And so we build and build and build and look for mistakes in each other instead of looking at the mistakes in here, inside yourself. And that's been covered so far this, this feast. It's gone over it and over it. We harbor our sin. We allow it build up instead of as there in the Elijah song, if with all of your heart all of your heart you seek God, you will find Him because He will be there. Christ has said to us, He said, My yoke is light. My way is easy. He says there's a narrow path and we need to walk that path. In Ephesians, we Turn there to Ephesians, if you would. Let me get that. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Talking of the death of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 14. For He is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall partition between us. So Christ has broken down that barricade that keeps us from going to the Father. He made that ultimate sacrifice. So if we have sinned, if we fall up short, God says, I allow Christ to come take care of that for you. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for to make himself of the twice to one new man, so making peace. Christ paid the penalty. I know it's difficult. And like I said, I've seen people walk away from Christ. 
because they sinned and they didn't think they could ever be forgiven. If you're alive, if you can sit down and take God's Word, you still have an opportunity. You're not over yet. It's not completely finished if you're willing to change. So Christ is the perpetuation. He's the one that paid the atonement for your sin. And remember that. Because this seven days, we've taken and eaten unleavened bread. Like Daryl brought out, I think it was yesterday, said we're eating, did we eat flat bread for seven days? Or six days now, this has been the seventh. Is that all we did was to take a piece of bread and say, this is flat bread, it's not leavened. And, and just eat it and not think about it. Where we should have been thinking of this bread representing the body of Christ is teaching us that we have to look like Christ. We have to walk like Christ. We should have taken the time on each day and we've been admonished to do that this week as you eat the bread search your life not somebody else's life to see where you stand in relationship to Christ and the Father now it's easy I know for, for in my standing I can look at someone and say boy they sure make a bunch of mistakes as long as I'm looking at them, at somebody else, my wife or uh, maybe Gordon or Daryl or Terry, or I don't care who it is, if I can look at your life, I don't have to see me. I don't have to see where I've tripped up. But that's not what the purpose of eating unleavened bread was. Say, oh, see, this unleavened bread means that these people got to change their life. Is that right? Do they have to change their life? We sometimes find they're making mistakes, but we haven't really seen what's up here. Maybe that person who we see slip, and we write them off, but God doesn't write them off. Because maybe in their heart and in their mind, they're truly seeking God. And we don't know when they get on their knees that they actually have tears and say, I've made a mistake. But if I'm eating flatbread, not puffed up, and looking at you, am I keeping the days of unleavened bread properly? Am I growing in the way I should be growing? No, unleavened bread means you're looking at yourself and seeing and, and Daryl brought that out just the other day we should sit down and say what am I doing? can I change? will I change? am I really seeking God with my heart? or am I seeking God on somebody else's heart? so seven days of unleavened bread isn't to see for me to say you've made mistakes and I'm going to See if I can't change your way of life. No, because I can't do that.
cannot do that. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, verse 1. If you then, being raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, whether Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your affection on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Sometimes when we look out there, we are, in, in this day and time, it's, it's really tough. I, you know, I can think back of people coming across this country in wagon trains, and I'm thinking, don't give it a lot of real thought. How did they take a bath? I can go in my house and turn on the spigot and get hot water and, or warm water and soap. I've got all this stuff there, all this amenities, you know. But we have a lot of other things. We're told to... You ought to buy this chariot. It's a better chariot than the other one. You know, Ford or Chevy or um, Buick or something else. And if you just had that, now you would be much higher in status than anybody else. I think it's uh, the Chrysler. If you can buy a Chrysler, then you're a king and a priest. But you see, years ago, they didn't have Chryslers or Fords or Chevys or they had a buggy and sometimes just a horse. So where do we set our standard? Here he's saying, where are you setting your standard? Are we setting a standard for somebody else or are we setting it a standard for ourselves? So we said, set your affection on things above. Having a vision of the future and not on just this physical things. For you are dead and your life is hid in Christ, or hid with Christ in God. So Passover, you sat there, you took the bread, you drank the wine, and now your life has been hid. Everything in the past has been taken care of. And so we go through seven more days of changing and looking and seeing, well, if I do this, this is a result. And if I do that, there's a better result. So, where is your heart? For when, uh, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And he goes through fornication and uncleanness and uh, inordinate affection and evil concupiscence and covetousness, and, which is idolatry. For these, for which things sake uh, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Think about that. If you continue to live in the world... Are you being disobedient? And God's wrath is going to come down upon it. But, we don't have to go through that. If we will just seek God with all of our hearts. So if you've gone 
through Passover. You've been, you've repented of the past. You were baptized. You've eaten on the unleavened bread or eaten the Passover and taken the Passover and loving God. What do we do then? Do we find our mistakes? Does God write us off? No. He tells us to leave the past. Well, it's okay to look back there and say, I made that mistake, but we don't want to harbor on that mistake. We leave the past just as Israel had to leave Egypt. Moses in in Exodus 14, verse 13 said, And Moses said to the people, Fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of your God. So we need to leave the past. It can only bring destruction if we harbor on our past, if we find faults with other people. Where's the fault lying? It's lying within yourself. Because you're not going to change somebody else. So you have to leave the past and go forward. Work toward being a part of what God has for you. In 1 Corinthians 10, we've covered part of this, I think, during this feast days. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. I said Hebrews earlier, but it's here in 1 Corinthians 10. They were baptized in the cloud and in the sea and, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat of the same spiritual meat, just like we eat it, and did drink of the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that rock, that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. We did too. We cannot harbor our mistakes. We've got to go forward. But many of them, talking about Israel, many of them, uh, God was not well pleased. Is God pleased with me? You can ask yourself that question. Is God pleased with my actions? In Amos 3, it tells you to, it says, uh, can two walk together unless you agree? Question. What if you agree with 70% of what God tells you to do? Can you walk with Him? Maybe 80%. How about 99%? 1% of what God tells us we don't agree with. Can we walk hand in hand with Christ if we have a disagreement? What part of God's way of life do we have a problem with? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. It goes on there in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. If we don't agree with God, if we harbor our mistakes and we just don't change, 
you could be overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our example. What happened to Israel, what happened through the past, is an example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they did. We live in this world and it is full of everything to pull you away from God. You don't want to be that way. Seven days we eat unleavened bread. Seven days we sit there and look into our life and think, what am I going to do? Am I going to go with the world? I'm going to make changes. Isaiah 52:11. Depart you, depart you. Go out from hence. Touch no unclean things. We are to leave the world and leave those ways of life. Go you out in the midst of her. Be you clean that bear the vessels of God. We have to make changes in our life. You're right. Passover was there for us to learn to say, God has passed over all of my actions. Now in unleavened bread, I've been eating unleavened bread and looking, what mistakes have I made? What can I change? Because I am clean now. I said before Passover, I took a shower. I'm clean on the outside, but there was a lot inside that needed to be changed. Passover cleaned the inside. So why should I look and say, I slipped up. I guess God doesn't want me anymore. No, I should take what it says there in Elijah's song. If with all your heart you truly seek Him. Am I doing that today? I need, each one of us need to ask that. Christ paid that penalty for us. You know, it sometimes seems hard every day. It seems hard to make changes. It seems hard to walk Christ's way of life. In Philippians 1, 6, says, Bring being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. God's not going to give up on you. He started something. He's going to continue. What keeps it from happening? Your mind, your heart, you saying, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, it'd be hard. But God doesn't want you to to fall away. Keep in mind Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. You're called, and God has a purpose. Remember that God's not going to give up on you. Are you going to give up on God? I hope not. Christ paid for your sins. It was wiped out this Passover. We 
ate the bread, we drank the wine, we washed feet, we first honored God and then we honored each other, as Matthew 25 tells us. The way we treat each other is the way we're treating God, the way we're treating Christ. And so we get to wash feet to learn to be humble and human and humbling ourselves in front of a brother or sister in Christ. If we don't treat them right, then are we washing Christ's feet? Because he said that. Seven days of unleavened bread, we work toward leaving our past sins. Brethren, we've crossed that sea just like Israel did. It's past now. We've got to go forward and do what's right in God's sight. And then every day think, if with all your heart, all of your mind and all of your every ounce of energy you have, you seek God, you seek Christ, and you live by every word that He puts out, you will find Him. And He will find you. And as He knocks on that door, as He did to the Laodiceans, and we were all Laodiceans. I don't care who we think we are. We were all Laodiceans. Christ is knocking on that door. He wants to come in to you. Do you want Him to come to you?